Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, guys, I'm excited to, to be able to get to teach this morning. i am ex- just been looking forward to it, and I'm really pumped up to get to share with you some of uh, just what's been going on, what I've been uh, looking through, studying, and so forth, and um, it's just going to be good. I, uh, we got through the first service, and now we're ready to do this all again. Oh, so, Welcome. Um, a lot of stuff's been going on, um, I say, in my life. I've been going through a lot of transformation, a lot of formation, spiritual formation stuff, just, um, you know, thinking about, about my life and so forth. And, and in the Bible, you know, God says, you know, I'm going to complete the work I started in you, that, 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 that your whole life, you know, God is, uh, it's actually sanctification, but like completing a work in you. And so we should always all be, clued in to what God's doing with us. But, you know, here lately, I just, I just know that there's just been some stuff going on in me, uh, forming me as, as a pastor, as a, as a husband, and as a dad, and just as just a guy uh, trying to, you know, navigate through this world um, and live for Christ. And what does that look like? And the more I obtain of that, how do I bring, you know, my wife and kids along? And then as, as that, like, how do we as a church continue to grow and become more like Christ. So I'm just kind of jacked up, like in a good way. Um, there's just some good stuff going on. And uh, today when I get ready to pick Colossians to share with you, because Colossians is a phenomenal book of what um, some basic spiritual development principles and uh, action items are in this book. It's only four chapters long. So for you who just despise reading, I challenge you, give it a whirl this week. It's only four chapters. It's a short book, but it's packed. I mean, it is packed with deep but practical things of, of God and of truth, the scriptures that, that, that help transform you and, and help spiritually form you. It's what we're called to do. But that's, that's Colossians. Um, Paul is who wrote it. And, and Paul wrote close up to half of the New Testament. And, you know, I, I like to tell this story. My first day of uh, Bible college, when I showed up, got moved into the, the dorm and everything. And some guys were huddling up out in the hallway um, who lived right there next to me. And I go out and I join in the conversation. And, I mean, it's a Bible college, so something came up about the Bible. And, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, um, but... They got talking, and I, I asked a question. It was, somebody said something about Paul, and the way I asked it was kind of like I was clueless. And I asked it, and they res- he responded. He said, Paul, you know, the guy who wrote like half the New Testament almost. And in that moment, I was like, oh, my goodness, what have I signed up for? Because I would not have told you, oh, yeah, Paul wrote half the New Testament. Like, I, I just, I, I didn't know, right? But... And so, I, you know, I was questioning, like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I just signed the deal for four years to be at Bible college, and I just I don't feel like I know anything like, like that. And anyhow, the reason I say that is I love, I love um, Bible education. I, I love learning, and I love helping other people learn what the Bible's like because it's a tall, it's a, kind of a tall task to try to take that on and, and start to understand it. And so um, just like a quick run-by, like... That's what we're here for. That's what this church exists for, to bring people to Jesus. But, and to do that, you know, how are you growing? And if, if you've got questions, you know, feel free to always, you know, 
send them our way. Um, I don't know everything, and, you know, the rest of the staff guys would tell you the same thing. We don't know at all, but we just might know something that could help you in your, in your understanding. So always feel free to shoot those uh, questions our way. But we start with Colossians, or we're going to look at Colossians because what Paul did, right, half the New Testament, and, uh, but some of those letters he was in prison when he, when he wrote them. And, and Colossians and Ephesians are similar. So if you're on a roll this week, man, if you're like, dude, I've, I've read Colossians twice today, you know, like you're, you're kicking on all cylinders, go ahead and read Ephesians because, I mean, they're just, they're kind of similar, similar ideas, and they're, they're believed to be written at the same time uh, in prison um, from Paul. You know, usually the letters are spread out, but these two have a lot of similarities. Just a little helpful information for you if you're looking to read more, um, overachiever, student this week. But we start in Colossians, and, in, and like I've already said, Colossians is huge. See, what happened was Paul has got to write, write the church of Colossae because there were some other um, religious thoughts infiltrating the church, okay? The, Gnosticism is saying, hey, all you need is knowledge. If you get enough knowledge of the world and of everything, you can be saved. And that's false. And uh, other philosophies and intellectual ideas of um, everything, all matter, all matter on earth is evil. It's straight evil. So Paul, was, i got to address this. And so he wrote addressing those, those ideas. And so he's speaking of the truth that's in Christ Jesus. But to speak of the truth in Christ Jesus and what the life becomes because of that truth in Jesus... He wrote it in such a way that new believers could, could grasp it, could grasp the understanding and apply it. And also people who have been around the church for a long time who really aren't putting into practice a Christian walk, you know, they could be encouraged with, here's what's going on here. Here's the truth and here's what you need to do with it. And so as I said, it's four chapters packed full of great informational stuff for our formation. And so we're just going to jump right in and get started with this. Colossians, he opens it up um, in chapter 1, just kind of like a similar way with what he does in all of his writings. He addresses the people um, that he's writing to. But we're going to just jump up to verse 9 and and pick into this prayer and go from there. Chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy." giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, as you look at the beginning of that, he said, we are praying that you be filled with knowledge in all spiritual wisdom. Paul is writing that you do have to know, like you've got to know spiritual wisdom. You, you've got to know this stuff. He said, but I'm praying that you know this, that you learn this, so that 
It says in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what he's saying is there is a way, there is a way to live your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, some of you might, if I ask a question, you know, one through 10, where are you at in living in a manner worthy of the Lord? Some of you might say, I'm not. Some of you might say, you know, a little more mature in your faith and you kind of understand. Maybe you'd say you are. But what we need to understand is Paul is writing, guided by the Spirit, and he is making clear that there is a way that you can live your life in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And that's kind of good news for us who sometimes think, I'm no good. I can't do it. Paul is going to write us a letter that says, oh, yes, you can. And it's the whole purpose of what the kingdom of God is about. It's the whole purpose of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father. You can walk in a way that's in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so this is big on Paul. As I mentioned about Ephesians, in Ephesians, he wrote to them. In chapter 4, he said, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And in Philippians, he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's maintainable. It's attainable. It is attainable. Is my life worthy of the gospel of Christ? How can I live in a way that's worthy? Don't think it's undoable. Paul's encouraging this. And like any good author, he's going to give us ways to do that. And so in this, we do learn walking in a manner that's worthy of the gospel has four steps. He shows us in, uh, in 1, 9 through 14. The four uh, steps are bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, so bearing fruit in every good work. Are you bearing fruit in your work? The second thing is increasing in the knowledge of God. Guys, that means you actually have to learn about God to live for God. When you know more, you do more. When you know better, you do better. Paul is saying to live a life worthy, in in a manner worthy, you've got to do, increase in knowledge of God. The third one is you've got to be strengthened with all power for endurance and patience with joy. So if you're walking in a manner worthy, you're going to have this power with you that gives you endurance and patience with joy. And then the fourth thing is you're going to be giving thanks. You're going to be overflowing with thankfulness. And then he gives us three things to be thankful for at the end of this uh, passage. The three things that we're to be thankful for are he qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. When Paul writes believers of the New Testament, he addresses them as saints. He does not address them as sinners. That's kind of a big, whoa, what? Yeah. For those of you who have been crucified with Christ and have raised to life, you're saints. You're saints. Paul's addressing saints. He's saying, you are, he has qualified you. He, Jesus did it. You didn't do it. It's a gift of God. But he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. 
He has delivered us. Number two, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. And number three, he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Those are the three reasons we would be thankful that Paul is laying out. Now, let's go back to verse 13. I always slow down when I read verse 13. Colossians is one of my favorite books. Um, My whole walk with God, my whole relationship, I've always, anytime I hear Colossians, man, I just, I get get gripped by God. He he just brings clarity to my life when I read the book of Colossians. You you will, you know, probably catch on with, with a different book in the Bible or maybe that one. But every time, I've read this book many of times, and every time I get to chapter, verse 13, I slow way down. Um, Lectio Divina, um, it's a spiritual discipline, Lectio Divina. And it's where you read Scripture really slow. You're not just reading a bunch of Scripture. You take a passage of Scripture and you read it really slow. And you do it a couple times. And as you do that, Usually a word pops out. It just kind of grabs your attention. And then you just kind of dwell on that word. And it's a, good, it's a good practice to do because more times than not, that's God working in your life. And that word will start to reveal things in your heart and in your current circumstances that, that okay, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm sensing, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm being led to, to think about. But this verse also just is of a, notorious just value in my life uh, just for what God's done chapter uh, verse 13 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Powerful, powerful um, sentence there. And it's definitely a theological truth. My story, my story, my life story is not um, anything <laughs> uh, worth a blockbuster movie or anything. I mean, uh, you know, my life story is not just going to woo you on a movie screen. But I do want to share one little piece of it to give you um, just a little insight into my life, but also to just kind of help understand that, that Paul is um, doing something here. He is saying, man... You're, 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 you're being pulled out of the darkness, the domain of darkness, and you're being brought in to the kingdom of the son he loves. Now, the summer before my freshman year of high school, it was that summer, church camp, Camp Ileana, down over there in Washington, Indiana, I dedicated my life to full-time ministry. I made the walk forward and said, I'll, I'll do it. I'm, I'm going to do full-time ministry for, for my life, vocation. Well, that fall, freshman year, Terre Haute North High School. That's right, baby. Go Patriots. And it, well, Terre Haute North, not New England. <laughs> Major clarity on the, on the old uh, microphone here. 
It's recorded. Um, I start high school. And that started the four-year process. That's a very familiar tale, unfortunately, for many of us. Where it's, you start to be charmed and pulled by that, just, it steamrolls you. The, the pull of the world. And it charms you and, and it, to live a life not worthy of the gospel. And, and, and in that, that, the spirit was willing. I knew better, but my flesh was weak. And so by the time I get to my senior year, I'm just straight up stiff arming the idea of going into ministry. It's there, it's eating at me, but I'm stiff arming it. Just saying, no, I'm just going to go to university. I'm going to go do something else. Well, in high school, like most senior classes, you, you know, you're with a group of friends and you, know, you think you'll be tight forever and so forth. But I had that. I mean, so my senior group of friends I was really close with, uh, really tight with, and the majority of them were either staying at ISU or going to IU. Like that was the, that was the thing to do. And, but I felt that, no, I think I'm going to go just somewhere completely different. Not Bible college. I'm not, I'm not going to ministry. I'm just going to go somewhere different. And it didn't make sense that I'd be like, hey, what are we doing tonight? Hey, what are we doing tonight? You know, during that senior year. But then I'm thinking, man, I'm going to go somewhere all by myself. Well, now as I look back, I can see God was all over this, all over this. People, you got you to journal. You got to write stuff down. You got to understand how God is working in your life so you can look back and see things and be amazed with what he's doing. So I, I, I withdraw and I, and, I, and I choose to go to University of Southern Indiana. And I knew I knew, down deep in me, I knew that I was saying, like, God, come on, do something in my life. But I couldn't articulate it. I couldn't speak eloquently of, you know, God or what's going on. But I just knew, come on, God, do something. But at the same time, I was willing to go down there and, you know, whatever. So I get to USI. The day I move in, I meet um, a buddy down the hall, I, you know, a guy I, I introduced myself. We're talking. A couple girls come in that he knew previously um, from his childhood. I meet them, not much talking, and I go. First day of school, I'm walking to class. And, uh, you know, hey, man, college student now. It's awesome. Walking to class, and I see her. She sees me. We lock eyes, and we're we're like, hey, hey, how you doing? And And we get together, and we start talking. And she, towards that conversation, um, Every time. Every time. She says, hey, I'm going to a Bible study tonight. You want to come? And the hairs on my neck just kind of stood up. And in my mind, I just stood amazed. Like, God, like, you've got me. You know, like, like you're, you're taking me where you want me. And I was amazed. And so the night comes and she calls and says, hey, you know, I'm ready to come get you. You, you know, you want to come? And I said, no, I'm not coming. She says, why? I said, well, MTV Music Awards are on tonight. <laughs> the spirit was willing, man, but the flesh was weak. Next week comes, I go. I never miss a week after that. And through that course of that, that freshman year, you know, um, 
God just um, wrecked my world and, and took a hold of me. But here's the deal. This is the biblical example of this. This is, this is the whole theology behind this. When God pulls you out of the darkness, he's not done. He wants to then take you and place you into light, into the Son's kingdom. And he wants to give you a possession. And so we see this through the Bible. In, in, in Exodus, when God starts to rescue the people of uh, Moses, and they were under the slavery of, of Egyptians, God says in, in Exodus, listen to this, he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians and, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And earlier in Deuter- uh, yeah, Deuteronomy, or later in Deuteronomy, he says, And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And in Leviticus, so beautiful, it says, I will walk among you and be your God. You will be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and I've enabled you to walk with your heads held high. Now, here's the tragedy. Are you walking with your head held up high today? That's what God does. He doesn't just bring you out of sin, but he brings you out of darkness so that he can give you the possession, man, the spirit, new life. He, give, he wants to take you somewhere. It's not, if, if all you do is get pulled out of darkness, that will result in I'm just a sinner. And your head will be down. But God is demonstrating all throughout the Bible. And Paul is writing this in, to the people of Colossae. He's saying, man, no, there is a foundational shift in your life when you come to Christ. He will break the bars of your yoke. You don't have to carry it any longer. Lift up your head. I've enabled you to walk freely and joyfully. This is the life being described in the Bible. I think it's not talked about enough. It's not shared enough. But this is the life. This is the theology. All throughout the Bible, this is what Paul is echoing. Now think about Paul. Paul used to kill Christians. In Acts, you can read about that. But he stands by and he's like, thumbs up. If you want to stone a Christian, that's what he was about, stoning Christians. And there's a guy named Stephen in the Bible, Acts 7 and 8. You read that story and it says, as they stoned Stephen said, Saul was his name then, was given thumbs up like, yeah, take out the Christians, kill them. You know what I mean? Throwing stones at Tom Brady's head, you know, like, yes, do it. You know, take him out. You know, it's really bad. Now, Paul, 
think about this. He's in, he's in prison. Paul is in prison, chains. He's got a past, man. He's got a past. And he's saying, he's writing to the people across, saying, oh, you're new to Christ? Oh, you, you've known Christ for a while, but your life's just not really tight with Christ? Man. Oh, I know what I'll write. Oh, he has rescued us. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness, people. He's got chains on. He's remembering. I, ki- I killed people. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves inheritance of the saints and light. This is huge. Darkness to light. This shall describe the life of a Christian. It has to describe the Christian. That is what the Bible describes. On the very first day in Genesis, okay, how does the scripture open up? Very first verse of Genesis says, darkness hovered over the earth. And to fix that, what happened on day one? What was made? God said that there be light. Light came to pierce the darkness, okay? That was the beginning of creation. What day do we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? When did he resurrect? He resurrected on day one, day one. And how does Jesus refer to himself? I am the light of the world. So just as in Genesis we had creation beginning with light, so in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, now there's a whole new creation, if you will. And where we found sin by Adam, now we're going to find life, death through Adam, life through Christ. Day one, let there be light. It's biblical. You, you don't belong to darkness anymore. Get out of it. You, you should not be associated with darkness. Get your head up held high and let, let God do what he wants to do. That's what Paul's pushing here. He's an amazing Savior. Amazing Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Colossians 1, 15 to 19. Let's get to this next passage. Paul writes... He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, these have got some couple strong implications for our spirituality. What Paul is trying to help the people of Colossae understand, he's, he's writing the same thing for the people of Paradise today. Okay, this is for us. We, we've got to understand this. Jesus is the image of God. Just a few other verses that show this. In Gospel, uh, in Gospel of John in 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Speaking of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says, For us, there is one God, the Father, 
from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Now, this gets into some Trinity stuff, and we just sang a song about it. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's some great teachings to be done about the Trinity and, and, and how it greatly um, f- forms us. And, and we'll get to that another Sunday. I would love to do that another time. We can't get into all that right now, but we're starting to kind of flirt with some of that stuff. But God and Jesus, they're one, okay? But Jesus is the Son from the Father. And, but Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's what Paul's writing, and he's, this is very important. Jesus also says in 14, um, 9, he says, uh, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And in John 10, when he's talking about the whole good shepherd thing and the good sheep know my name and I know them, he's writing that. At the end of that segment in chapter 10, verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. Now, why this, the first thing that this is so important to understand that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You know, a couple months ago we celebrated Christmas, Emmanuel, God made his dwelling among us in the flesh through Christ. The reason this is important is because we have got to understand this. There is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. There is no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. See, what we do often, often, is we reduce Jesus to just being this friend of sinners thing. That, that, that all Jesus does is save souls. And all he does is just kind of dice out some tickets to heaven. And dice out forgiveness and like just save sinners. And when we reduce Jesus to that, we have a hard time explaining it, but it's there. It's like a virus eating away at us we start to develop that, but there's God behind this curtain in heaven. And we're just hoping that Jesus is going to stand in our place when we face the real judge, like the real God. And we start to create this disconnect between the two, and we blow up this as if it's something more scary or Is he going to grade a little harder than what Jesus? Because, man, Jesus is just so cool. But what about God? Like, I'm starting to kind of get nervous about that. And we create angst in our spirituality that should not be there. I love how Michael Reeves uh, said this. He said, let us be rid, then, of that horrid, sly idea that behind Jesus, the friend of sinners... There is some more sinister being, one that's thinner on compassion and grace. There cannot be. If you want to know what God's like, it truly is revealed in Jesus. You know how he treats lepers. You know how he treats sinners. You know what he expects of followers. Do everything I command. Love grace. Love truth. Be merciful. Do everything I commanded. If you want to know what God's like, it's Jesus, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's huge for our spirituality to understand that and not get a disconnect going on. The other problem that we face as Christians with this idea is when we reduce Jesus again to just being a little, you know, espresso shot spirituality of Jesus on Sunday morning in here, friend of sinners, 
when we walk out those doors into the world, we think Christ is enough to save souls, but we don't really live as if Christ is the creator of all the world. Paul is saying, people, Christ formed the world. It was made for him. It was made through him. And it's held together by him. It's all for him. This is Christ's world. But I think our mind sometimes reduces out there to a place of neutral. Like, like it's just we're trying to go out into a neutral world and win it. And it no, it's Christ's world. But that greatly affects, like, so if, we, if I'm in here and I just think Jesus saves sinners, when I go out there, I think I'm going to the real world with the real life, and I'm going to try to smear my Christianity out there. And that's just a horrible view of thinking of it. The whole cosmos was created and is being sustained right now by Christ. It belongs to Christ. So Christ, the Christ's goal is much larger than just saving souls. He's wanting to say, he's wanting to redeem the world. He's wanting to pierce out evil from all corners of the earth. And that just greatly affects our approach to, to, to the creation. Now, stop, Kyle. How do we, what's a good implication for our family or for myself to understand this idea of when you walk out the doors, you're not leaving anything, but it's Christ's world. The very basic, I mean, very simple thing you can do is seriously just start to take in sunsets and the flight of the moon at night. Serious. Um, when, when our oldest was young, uh, several years ago, we instilled just when we go outside and if we see just like awesome moon, the moonlight, or we see just a cool sunset or whatever, like it's instantly, woohoo! Yes, God, thank you. And we just say that. And we do that with each other, our family. And we celebrate. Just like, thank you, God, for that gift. Like that is awesome because it is beautiful. We are so busy. We are so busy that we miss what Christ has created. He created all things for our pleasure and enjoyment. And so, one day, we set up a, that, so we always thank God for that stuff. One night, about a year ago, we were driving late at night, and uh, everybody's sacked out except for me. You know how that goes, dads, you know, cruising. Everybody's sacked out. We're on the way home from somewhere, and late at night, and I'm driving, and, you know, myself, I'm kind of even dozing off. Not really, but, I mean, you know, you're just, you're just in a trance, you know, just driving. And all of a sudden, right behind me, I jumped up out of my seat, and then I hear Malik's voice say, Yay, God, what a moon. Thank you very much for worshiping God right now, you know? (laughs) He's like, ha, man. But that was amazing, amazing. I was like, that's right, Malik, that's right. (laughs) Guys, listen, application. We don't have it figured out. What's an easy step? An easy step is to slow down and start realizing the creation. Christ is the creator. He saves souls 
but he's, he's the creator of creation. Enjoy it, embrace it, and start to expand your mind instead of just being focused on, oh, I'm a sinner, or oh, I feel short again today. But no, get your head up, man. Like, and live and embrace what Christ is wanting to do, do for us. This is a imperative that Paul was writing this to these uh, Christians because the supremacy of Christ is in the cosmos and it's in the church. And that's what Paul's trying to convey to, to them and, and now to us. So now let's go on to Colossians um, one uh, 1.21. <clears throat> is that right? Yeah. And, one, and you, he says, um, and you once, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you've got your regrets and mistakes. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in your faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Do you hear this language? Paul is writing to the people and saying, you once were alienated. It's the same talk. You once were alienated. You should not be alienated anymore. Once you were, once you were alienated in darkness. You were hostile in mind. You did things that you regret. They were mistakes. You regret them. But now he has reconciled you in his body in order to present you how? Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Continue in your faith, stable and steadfast. Don't shift from the hope of the glory of Christ in you. Don't, 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 don't shift away from the gospel that you heard. Paul is advocating there is a way to live this life because it's Christ in you. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is in you. You can become, this is what we're saying, you're becoming, it's, it's sanctification. You are becoming more holy. You're becoming blameless. In Isaiah, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation he has covered me with robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels lift up your head lift up your head christ is dressing you in righteousness holiness and a life of blamelessness because That's the power of the gospel. That's the whole point of what God wants his people to do is radiate. Be different than the rest of the world. That's what light and darkness does. So he says this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, for our sake, God made Christ, okay? He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are to be highly attractional to this world about the church, about Christian life, about who God is. Our lives should be attractional, okay? 
for who God is. And people should be recognizing it. And I'm just asking you kind of a question. Where are you at on that? If you can say it a scale, where are you at? More importantly, what do you think of yourself? And when you think of yourself and you write that down, write what God thinks of you down. Biblically, the truth. What, what biblically answers the question, how does God view you if your life is hid in Christ? He, he's got an amazing view of you. One that does not produce arrogance, but one that produces, lifts your head up high. He's broken the bars of the yoke. His yoke is easy. And let's continue on. Because too many Christians, too many Christians have just become content with just being a little bit moral. I go to church, I'm a little bit moral, more moral than my friends who don't. I mean, that's our reality, right? For the majority, that's it. That's what we have reduced this Bible, this actual idea. That's what we've reduced it down to. It's just now, um, I just walk around and I just know that I'm forgiven. Like, that's all I've got for you is I know I'm forgiven. And that's just not what... The Bible is all about, yeah, you're forgiven, you're brought out. Why are you staying right here, dude? It's not, it's not biblical. Go to the land, man. I want to put the Spirit in you. I want you to come alive. I want you to live. I want you to be righteous. I want you to be holy. I want you to be blameless. I want to be in you and lead you and show you how to do this so that you actually might shine in the life and the community around you and be a witness that shows that God is actually awesome and life-changing and transformational, that, that your life can be transformed. But we stop so short of that calling and that biblical principle way too often. And that's why in Colossians 2.13, Paul is writing this. He says, and you... You were dead in your trespasses and in, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Paul is continuing to paint this picture we're talking about. And do you hear that? God made you alive not to be on your own. God made you alive with him, Christ. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. That's what Paul writes earlier in chapter 1. And so he's coming back and saying, he, he's made you, from, from made you alive with him. So you're with him, being alive, having forgiven all your trespasses. This life and death thing, it, it's just throughout the Bible. You can't escape it. You can't refute it. Um, in Ezekiel, there's a passage that, that speaks clearly of this uh, picture. And uh, give me a moment as I locate it. It says this. I'm just going to read this, okay? It's not going to be on the slide. So if you need to close your eyes, if you need to listen, however you listen best, just, just, just listen to this. I'm, I'm going to read it for you. It's a few, uh, few verses. This is Ezekiel speaking. 
the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and he set me in the middle of a valley, okay? Middle of a valley and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very, very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, oh, sovereign Lord, you, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones were coming together bone to bone. I looked And tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life. They stood up on their feet. A vast army appeared. This is what we're rooted in. This is what Christ does. This is the story of what God does. Valley of dry bones, he brings life to where there's death. Life to where there's death. This is what, he's, what we're rooted in. In In Colossians 2, 6, it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So just if you will, Ezekiel, you come to life. I mean, that's the picture. Non-Christian, dead, bones. Christian, life. Four winds, breath of God breathed in you. You're alive, man. The Spirit is in you and you're alive. This is the biblical picture of what it means to be with Christ or to be without Christ. Okay? Now, yet, yet, we've got people who just roll their eyes when um, they think about going to church. Because they think, what's the point? I mean, really, what difference of lives do Christians live? I mean, the, the divorce rate, right? The divorce rate in the church looks exactly like it does outside of the church. Irreconcilable differences. Are you kidding me? Like, we have grossly mispainted what life in Christ is about. It's 
out of darkness so that there can be a transformation happen. It's what we're commanded to do, but it's what God longs to do. And so, got another scripture for you. In Romans, it says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. That's your choice. You have a choice in this. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Period. Those in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, boom, big difference right there. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. People, big newsflash, the spirit of God that displayed the picture of dry bones coming together and making life. And he says in Ezekiel, I'm going to give you a heart, a flesh instead of stone. I'm rocking your world. You're a new creature. That same spirit is the spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead to give new life. That spirit is the same spirit that God has placed in you when you say yes to the gift of righteousness that God offers to give you. This is life changing. This does not make sense with Christians still attached to darkness, with Christians still just will be a little bit more moral. No, set your mind on things above. The Spirit's in you, so live according to the Spirit. That's where transformation happens. That's where you go from darkness to life. That's where your head gets lifted up and you are free. You're free in Christ. Our family, we like to walk at Roselawn Cemetery. Sometimes we go there um, to just change pace and go walk up there. It's up the road. Some of you are familiar with it. Um, Roselawn Cemetery. Um, and in it, it's got a big uh, Jesus statue. And uh, this particular time we were walking and we went to see um, some of our family is, is, is buried right there around uh, the Jesus statue. And so we take our boys and we were just talking about some, some family stuff. And as we came back to the... Um, the, 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 the statue of Jesus, um, uh, McGuire uh, w- ran back in front of me and he sat down and he started to ask a question. McGuire asked a, a bunch of questions. And a lot of times they're, they're like straight up just 
spiritual questions. Um, I, I got to tell you this, though. He loves to wear outfits, okay? So the last couple of days, he's been rocking sunglasses. Like, he just always has to be in character. And the other day, I was standing right here but before band practice, and McGuire came up right here. He had those glasses on. He ran up to me and was like, hey, Daddy, you know, got a question, which is very normal. He put his glasses down, you know, like moved them down to where he could look at me through his eyebrows. He's right there. He's like, hey, Dad, Daddy, if I do this, Will the girls run after me? <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I said, oh, yeah, they will. Without missing a beat, Maddox is standing right by him. Without missing a beat, McGuire goes, oh, Maddox, you got to do this when you find the girl that you want to marry. <laughs> it's awesome. So this particular day, we come up to the Jesus statue, and G- uh, McGuire pops down, and he turns around and says, hey, Daddy. I say, what, Bub? And uh, he says, how did Jesus die? And it's one of those times where, like, there's just kind of, like, instant, um, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, easily emotional or whatever. But I kind of just, like, choked up for a quick second because I knew what I was about to say. Um, and I, and I, it was just that real reality of, like, well, you know, because of me, because of sin, you know. But he said, how did Jesus die? I said, well, buddy, they crucified Jesus. And I was thinking about the sins and so forth. And before I said anything else, McGuire said, well, but he died for our sins, right? Or he said, for all of our sins, right? I said, that's exactly right. For all of our sins, he was crucified. And then McGuire said, but he raised again. I said, that, that's right, buddy. He raised to life again. Now we have new life. We're forgiven, but we have new life. And then he waited just a few seconds. Perfect timing. And then he just said, hey, Dad. I said, yep. He said, I can't wait to see his face. <laughs> Me either, buddy. I can't wait to see that face either. Do you know why? Why, Daddy? Well, buddy, that's the face of the voice that we follow all of our days. We listen and we follow that voice. And one day, finally, that voice will have a face. And that's why I can't wait to see that face. I think for all of us, there's this time where we've got to come and understand that the Bible is here. Um, God has, has made himself available through Christ and then now through his word for us. And we, I think, grossly underestimate the power of what it holds for us. Hence, if the Spirit raised Christ from the dead is in me, how does that affect the way I live? Do I, am I even aware that that same spirit is in me? And so we've got issues, don't we? We've we got to get this straightened out. We've we got to get this worked out. Matthew um, is known for having this scripture that says, Come to me who are weary, right? But there's a scripture before that that's important to understand in context. 
And it says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. So Jesus is saying, God, me, we're one. And anybody I choose to reveal to him, man, you know God. You can come to God. And so then, then he says, so come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There it is, learn. We've got to be people who are learning Peter says, grow in grace and knowledge. You can't do one without the other. We've got to be, learn, learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He makes, he sends the winds to bring life. He breaks the bars of our yoke. And his yoke is easy and light. And it's transformational to our living. I love how Samuel Rutherford talked about this burden of Christ. He just simply said, to take the burden of Christ is such a burden as wings are to a bird and sails are to a ship. Jesus wants to transform your life. That's the whole point of God. Some of you need to know that, man, just one drink from the well that Jesus offers, it it changes you. You're not thirsty anymore. Just, I want you to hear these songs. I want you to hear these words. Stephanie's just going to sing them over us. You can just sit there and just soak it in. Um, Check it out. Forgiveness was born. 
the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide, forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. of Christ in the church and the supremacy of Christ in the world, saying you can be rooted in Christ who once you were dead, now you're alive, and this can be transform your life. Now, so next week, Paul's a good author. 
Next week, we're going to find out what's the practical steps. I mean, these are big ideas. And now that we believe it, now that we understand it, what are some practical steps of how to do that? Well, Paul lays that out there for us. And that's what we're going to look at next week. Okay, so we're going to wrap up Colossians next week. 